The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, okay. So I, I think uh, for tonight we'll, we'll reverse the order, and I'd like to, to have some time for, for interaction at the end. Um, but I'll, I'll move in from that, that guided meditation to uh, share some, some more thoughts about um, working with anger. And uh, then uh, in the last 20 minutes or so, we'll have some time for to hear any questions about the, that meditation or about uh, what I'm, I'm sharing now. So uh, Buddhist perspectives on, on anger... Um, We are uh, taking uh, an attitude, we could say, of, uh, of radical accountability. Uh, meaning that uh, we uh, uh, fully own the, ari- the experience of anger. Um, and we do this, um, this is maybe the tricky part, without devolving into self-blame. And so we're pairing this attitude of not locating the source of anger outside ourselves, in them. We're taking radically accountable, but we're doing this in a way that doesn't add to the whole elaborate story of self that we already have, are running. Um, and this is an important balance to find, to be accountable, but uh, not to make that mean something about who we are. And uh, this is really um, seeing the seeds of anger within. It sounds like maybe that's bad news, right? Like that's a little bit of a downer. But um, actually this is very hopeful. Uh, when we really sense into that, uh, the seeds of anger are within. There's actually, there is some real um, kind of hope, this is a relief in a way, because it means that we're not at the mercy of, of the world in a sense, that we can actually cultivate our heart minds in ways that are, um, that change, transform our experience of anger. Um, We're recognizing, we could say, two things. Um, We're recognizing also that there is, that anger carries a great burden, and we're also recognizing uh, some hopefulness in working with it. Um, Sometimes it's not totally clear to us just how much of a burden on our own hearts it is to be to experience anger, we need to to make this this clear to ourselves to know that this is actually 
um, an, an urgent spiritual, personal, psychological matter for us. There's a story of uh, the, the Thai forest uh, meditation teacher, Ajahn Chah. And I don't remember the story exactly. I heard it through one of Ajahn Chah's students. Um, but it was something like somebody, one of the monks came to Ajahn Chah and was describing how angry he was and frustrated about somebody. And, um, and Ajahn Chah gave him a very strange, counterintuitive meditation assignment. Uh, He said, for the next hour, I want you to do a hatred meditation. Not a love meditation, hatred. So what is a hatred meditation? You guys have, Gil does not teach hatred meditations. (laughs) Andrea, no. Nor do I. Don't do this at home, by the way. Okay? Please. But this was the assignment. Vow to intently hate your enemy for every second of that entire hour. Every time your attention wanders off the object of hatred and say you're like with your breath or you're... Return the attention to the object and just keep hating them, right? Now, I don't know how that uh, sounds to you, right? Um, I've experimented with it a little bit. Um, It's exhausting. The... What it makes clear is the um, the burden that is hatred, the just burden. Uh, it also makes clear that uh, because, of course, the mind doesn't stay with that the enemy, right? The mind wanders off, and but what it makes clear is that anger works in part through reiteration we need to like keep rehearsing the ra- the the rage and it it's, can act it can be like there's a little ember and then we go back into the narrative which arises in the space of internal talk primarily and it's like we start to stoke that fire and the fire in the body, really that ember starts to burn brightly. It takes reiterating, it takes re- repeating our story to keep the continuity of anger. Otherwise, it, we can see it's like everything else. It arises, it passes away. But seeing that is really critically important so we're taking, taking accountability without self-blame. We are recognizing the burden on the heart. And we are also um, recognizing and, and really sensing into um, hopefulness that, that this can be done, this has been done, um, uh, we, we 
underestimate the capacity of the heart very deeply. You know, we underestimate our suffering, but we also really underestimate the capacity of the heart. And our meditation practice is to start giving us some confidence in the spacious capacity of the heart to hold the full range of feeling. So working with anger, I wanna talk about some, some practices around this. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's happening as the Dharma becomes more popular, as meditation is taught more widely, is that it's getting very practice and technique oriented. And it's like, okay, problem X, technique Y, right? And that works to some extent, but the Dharma is a, it's a whole path. It's a whole path, a holistic path. And it's not one technique for one problem. This, everything we're doing here is ultimately weakening the seeds of aversion and separation. Everything we're doing, even things that seem like they have nothing to do with anger or aversion, it's, they're dedicated to um, uh, eroding the sense of alienation from other beings. And um, so I'm, I'll talk about some specifics, but, um, but it's really, it's important not to get too uh, narrow in how we think of, you know, technique and problems. The Dharma is much vaster than that. Uh, so... Um, I'll talk, talk more about this. We're, we're first, we're actually noticing love, noticing love, uh, cultivating, accessing love, uh, because love does not coexist with anger and hate. In a single moment of love, there, there, it's like there's not space for anger, for alienation. And so the more that our lives, the more that the mind defaults to a state of love and kindness, the less space there is for anger. Uh, And I'll share more about that. Uh, We're becoming more sensitive, more mindful of the, the, the way that anger blossoms, the way that it... how it arises. And this is alluding specifically to um, how anger comes together as feeling in the body, internal talk, internal images. We're learning how to short circuit anger as it's arising. Uh, 
when learning to detect that ember burning and know what is needed in that moment. And then we're, we're lastly learning to deal effectively when anger has arisen. So the Buddha says that there are uh, four things to do when we're in pain. Blame self, blame others, despair, or investigate. Can probably guess the (laughs) option D, right? Now this is this this call to investigation is um, pointing us back. We could say to our own uh, reactivity to being responsible for this experience of anger, uh, and there's a confidence that if we investigate. It's not that all, that all anger is invalid. It, there's no wisdom in it ever. Last week I, I talked qu- a, quite a bit about um, ways in which anger can be, quote, valid, or there can be something that we can distill from anger that is helpful. But there's also this confidence that the more we investigate anger, the more we see the holes in the logic, the more we see that anger always contains a seed of delusion. That anger, we could say, is never the last word. So if you think about uh, maybe an angry episode in your life in the past or maybe something going on now, Uh, you can reflect on it and you can almost envision what a more uh, mature or well-digested take on that whole situation is going to be. You can almost taste, even if you're in the anger now, you can almost taste that the view is going to change. It's not, it's not, the vision is not totally clear. And when anger has, has hijacked our emotional life, the view is not totally clear. We need to, um, to see this for ourselves. We need to Learn to trust that when we look deeper, as, as Sharon Salzberg once said, when you look deeper, you, it will move you more deeply into compassion. That this is the effect of looking more deeply. We need to develop some confidence o- about this because uh, when we're angry, we forget everything. It's just like gone. When we're in these sober moments, we need to develop some confidence. And so when I'm angry, there's like a bell that goes off, which it's like a little chime that says like, Brent Silver, diluted, (laughs) diluted. And maybe in the moment of, you know, there's like, no, no, I'm, I know what, you know, and then it's like, no, diluted, 
deluded. And I've seen this enough in my life. I've been confident of angry positions enough and then seen them crumble pitifully enough that there's some confidence. Some confidence. I'm not, I know there may be some seed of wisdom in the anger, but there's at least some confusion. Now, in doing this, we're not trying to suppress or deny the experience of anger. Anger is not a moral feeling. It's not morally right or wrong. That's not the framework of the Dharma. The Dharma cares only about suffering and freedom from suffering for ourselves and others. This is Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, He says, Just like our organs, our anger is part of us. When we're angry, we have to go back to ourselves and take good care of our anger. We can't say, go away, anger, I don't want you. When you have a stomach ache, you don't say, I don't want you, stomach, go away. No, you take care of it. In the same way, we have to embrace and take good care of our anger. Thich Nhat Hanh goes on to use the, the metaphor of, um, of caring for our anger as a, as a caring mother uh, tends to her child who's suffering. Uh, as a caring mother tends to a child screaming. That the same attitude that she takes in relation to that child is the attitude that we take in relation to our anger. I, I, will, t- I will care for this anger. I, I will take good care of it. It's my job to take good care of this anger. And that means that uh, we have to do a little practice with it. That anger makes us um, kind of stupid, and we, if we act in that moment, it's very likely that it, our wisdom, our hearts, will not be brought forth. And so he recommends, when the anger arises, not to do anything. I've found that quite helpful. Every impulse we have when we're in the grips of anger is unwise. Um, So we, to take good care of the anger means we do a little mindfulness practice. We breathe mindfully. We maybe take take a walk. We start to settle into the simplicity of the, our breath and body we may start to notice the the different strands of the experience of feeling, of image, of talk. We commit not to do something about it, but instead to uh, take good care of it in silence for a moment. Now, uh, sometimes our anger is... 
our work with it is just on our own. It's just taking care of it on in our own heart, in our own mind. But sometimes it's, we actually have to, it's interpersonal. We need to talk, especially with people we're close to. And, and Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Anger, um, is quite touching in this way. Um, so we're, we're finding a, a balance, we could say, in those times when it's appropriate to share, when it's somebody we care about, it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, we're trying to find this balance between uh, suppression and no, I'm not angry, and, and that kind of prideful defensiveness of like, no, everything's okay, or whatever. That side versus the acting out. And there's a middle point somewhere. There's a middle point of uh, something like uh, assertive assertiveness or... Uh, but that finding that middle point between acting it out and suppressing the middle point brings us to, I would say, an exquisite vulnerability. That to actually share our anger, to say we're angry, to share that with another person, with somebody we're close with, to share that in a non-aggressive way is about the most vulnerable thing we do, in, in, my, in my experience. Um, in those moments of coming to somebody to say, you know, I, I'm angry and I need to work this out with you, what we're acknowledging is that, that actually, the very nature of anger acknowledges, testifies to our vulnerability. It says, I can be hurt. Right? The very nature of anger says that. Now we do everything in the world to pretend that that's not the case and our aggression kind of covers up that basic vulnerability. But the very nature of anger it's like, yeah, we can be hurt. This heart really moves. The world impacts us. We are vulnerable. Um, and in those moments when we don't come out with, uh, in an aggressive way, when we're actually trying to share in a constructive way, we, we are we're talking uh, from our hearts and we're really entrusting our hearts to the other person. And we're, we're uh, begging them not to harm us. So vulnerable. In close relationships, Thich Nhat Hanh says, um, he gives three things to say, or three, that's two, four, uh, three reflections. And these things might be said out loud, but I, I find that it's just this approach really softens my heart in relation to, to anger. And even if we don't say these things at all, these reflections can be quite useful. 
So in the context of, of dealing with close people, which of course is where a lot of the anger is, uh, uh, he says uh, to, to, to not act, to take care of our anger, to practice some mindfulness, and then when it's time to have a conversation, sooner rather than later, um, he says, he gives these three statements. He says, um, you would share with, with the person, uh, I'm angry, I suffer. I'm angry, I suffer. I'm doing my best. And the third, uh, I need your help. I'm angry, I suffer, I'm doing my best, I need your help. And every time I uh, reflect on that, it just really hits me so deeply because it, it somehow, uh, it like undercuts the anger at its roots in a way. It just flips everything on its head in a way. Uh, I'm angry. I'm doing my best. I need your help. And so this, this is a taking responsibility. I'm angry. I suffer. I'm doing my best. I'm, take, I'm caring for my anger the way a mother cares for her child. I need your help. Acknowledging openly that dependence and vulnerability, that anger has arisen in a dynamic and that the dynamic can help diffuse it. Now, uh, if we can have those kinds of conversations, and of course we all have to use our judgment, is this a person, is this a partner, a friend, a child, parent with whom I can have a conversation. Is that possible? We have to use our judgment. Can't be too formulaic or idealistic about this. Um, but if we can have that kind of conversation, it, my experience has been that it, it's, uh, it can be profoundly healing. And actually strengthen the relationship beyond where it was before. You know, there's a, the theory in uh, psychotherapeutic development, the relationship and the process of, of um, feeling better in therapy, which emphasizes that, there's, that therapy can be, at least certain kinds of therapy can be, a kind of cycle of of rupture and repair, of feeling close and doing good work, and then something happens, and there's a little bit of a alienation maybe between the therapist and the client, and then this is noticed, and this is repaired, rupture, repair, and this is actually a cycle. And that actually that's how relationships deepen. 
And it may be true in psychotherapeutic situations, but I think it's true in our lives. We have to, I would say, um, get used to that kind of vulnerability. It's um, being that open to the influence of another, entrusting one's heart with another in that way. Uh, The way that I experience it, it's like being a little bit like in water that's too cold. You know the experience of getting into a pool or something that's like too cold? not freezing, but too cold. And it's like the body, the whole body is kind of like, just adjusting to it. The world's really impacting us. It's kind of like that, I think. And we feel like we're really out on a ledge. And... Some of Dharma practice is uh, acclimatizing to that, G- growing uh, accustomed to being out there in that way. This comes up in a lot of spheres, but, but uh, sh- emotional sharing especially. One, one last thing before we, we stop. Um, in that, that guided practice on feeling image and talk, uh, the body, sometimes the mind is so sticky in, the, in moments of anger that to try to listen to our thinking in the way we might listen to a passing car. It's not, it's very tricky because there, it's like quicksand. It's like the thinking process is like quicksand. It keeps pulling us into the melodrama of the anger. It keeps pulling us into the world of thinking. We keep the, um, sort of going under, becoming submerged in the stream of thinking rather than listening to it. So teachers will often emphasize the body, the body, feeling in the body, feeling it. And it is really painful. And it gets better. The feeling in the body gets better when we act it out. That's the bad part. You know, that's the part, the, our acting out gets reinforced because we feel a little better momentarily when we lash out in one way or another. However we lash out, momentarily we feel better. It relieves the internal pressure. Yeah? And uh, this reinforces that behavior, right? It's like, 
Now, of course, we feel worse later, and it's a big mess and whatever, right? But in that moment, the pressure is relieved. We are learning uh, with patience and tolerance to bear with that pressure, to bear with it. That takes training. There's, I don't think there's anything else. It just, it takes training. This is uh, Goenka, who, uh, um, a Vipassana teacher who, who emphasizes the body in practice. Um, if you're not working with the body sensations, then you're only working at the intellectual level. You might say, anger's not good. All of this is intellectual, moral teachings heard in childhood. Wonderful. They're helpful. But when you practice, you understand why they're not good. Body sensations are a guide to our impurities. That's a little strange name, but impurities. Body sensations are a guide to our impurities. Every impurity will generate some sensation or another within the body. With proper training and practice, it's easy to observe respiration and body sensations, both of which are directly related to impurities. As soon as a negativity arises in the mind, the breath will lose its normality. It will start shouting, look, something's gone wrong. And we cannot scold the breath. We have to accept the warning. Similarly, the sensations will tell us that something's gone wrong. Then, having been warned, we can start observing the breath, start observing the sensations, and very quickly we find that the negativity passes away. Um, Patience and tolerance with the arising of feeling in the body really... uh, key tool in working with anger. Um, so so we'll, we'll pause, pause here and um, want to take some, some uh, questions or comments from, from the group and uh, see what arises. So you talked about um, anger as it arises in ourselves. Do you have any words of wisdom for dealing with someone else who has very fire-breathing dragon anger for extended periods of time? Yeah. Um, I don't have any words of wisdom, unfortunately. I know. I, um, but I'll still talk a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, it's probably situation to situation. Um, um, and sometime, sometimes that may mean that we we actually have to change the objective situation, the nature of the relationship, the, um, I, I, and I, I don't know the specifics, and, and that's not um, 
you know, I, I'll just leave that be as for now, but just as a general principle, just because we talk about acceptance and equanimity and open-heartedness all the time in here does not mean that that's at all opposed to making big changes, right? One of the things we have to learn is to accept what is, what are the limits of my equanimity, what are the limits of my capacity to accept, to bear with? We often will try to overextend beyond our limits and uh, then we get kind of crispy and we think we're sort of doing our best to be spiritual or something, but it's actually, it's too much. It's too much. We work on the, this side of our limit, right up to the edge, but on this side. So sometimes it means there's got to be some objective uh, change. Um, also, we, uh, we have to find, I think, our own uh, boundaries in a way of, of really seeing the seeds of anger in them, seeing that clearly. And in the same way that we might see it clearly in ourselves. We see it, we see it clearly in them. We see the burden of suffering in them. We recognize the hell of being, of marinating in anger and hatred all the time. That is, it's just a hell realm. And, uh, you know, when we're feeling reactive against it, it's hard to remember that. And all of their anger helps us forget that, you know? And we want to see them change or suffer or something. But uh, our practice is to, for that to register deeply how much pain that is. Just that registering it that in that way may show a certain way of being in relation to it. Um, and then we, we have to um, nourish our own hearts too. Like, okay, if, if we're in a situation where that just can't change, where we're going to be exposed to that, where we're doing our best with our pract- to practice with it, then part of our job is to really find ways of nourishing our own hearts other times other times other others last week you quoted i believe it was your teacher about patience and anger and I was really curious to hear more about that. Um, patience and anger, yeah. Um, the uh, the chapter the chapter from uh, Shanti Deva's Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life is the chapter that's basically on anger is titled Patience, <laughs> um, and. Uh, Anger is urgent, right? Everything about anger is urgent. 
the body, the feeling in the body, the internal talk, the images tangle together and they create a sense of urgency. They create a sense of like, right now, something's got to happen. Even if that something is just to yell at somebody in our heads or yell at ourselves or whatever, there's that urgency. And uh, patience is, in a certain sense, the antidote to urgency. Uh, and so we, we take an attitude of patience and tolerance in relationship to our experience. We become patient, tolerant with what's going on in our, in our minds and our hearts. And um, I think uh, in the same way that love cannot coexist with anger, in a certain sense, patience can't either. And so that patience is like beginning to, to cool the flames, to sober up, to uh, get a little bit more clarity on the situation. Because uh, in that urgency, the whole body-mind system is hijacked. It really is. And we're just like a puppet. I mean, if you want to feel like the lack of... Free will. I, that's that's a good good experience, really, to see it and uh, propelled deeply by habit. So the the patience is an antidote to the urgency, um, and it hurts. It, you know, in my experience, the pa- patience with anger hurts, but it's a good hurt. It's a wholesome hurt. It's what one teacher, what Ajahn Chah said, it's the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. Most suffering just leads to more suffering. That suffering, patience with urgency, is the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. Also, there's acceptance. Yeah. And perseverance. Yeah. Thinking with that. Yeah, yeah, great, great. You talked about anger with loved ones or close people to you. Can you talk about anger with maybe in a work environment? Because those people you might not want to be that vulnerable with. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's right. We can't can't come to our uh, really obnoxious uh, boss or something and be like, you know, I love you, and you know, it's like uh, right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think the reflections are the same in a certain sense. Our reflections, how we understand it in a certain way, are quite similar. How, we, how that all manifests in, a, in our action, in our conversation, might be much different than with loved ones or close people. The the process, I think, all of these reflections are equally applicable to a co- co-worker, colleague, the situation as family. But how we share may look quite different. The basic structure of it is, is not. I, I mean, 
um, in I'm thinking back um, actually one of the, one of the most difficult maybe the most difficult relationship period in my life was in a work relationship and um, it was about ten years ago and for a month and I was I was it was my supervisor um, and for about a month I was just going nuts and uh, and she and we we sort of like really triggered each other you know I she I was in this kind of I was it was a first year placement in graduate school and I was all scared and I was like really in a vulnerable kind of space and she somehow really pounced on me relentlessly. And so we were both like really triggering each other. And so some of it was seeing like, oh, this is a dynamic. She's got her stuff for sure. But I'm participating here too. For a month, it was, we just went in circles. And then uh, I realized, like, I, I mean, we were both suffering. And I, I did have a conversation that's n- not like this. Not, the language was very different, but the basic structure was very similar, which was like, we are, something's going on here that's not working. I, I, it's not working for me. I, it seems like it's not working for you. And I want to find ways of, uh, of, working you know of 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 working together and, and so that uh we both suffer less that, that may not be the language you use but that's the basic premise of it and what that does is in being re- accountable ourselves for our own part in it um it diffuses defensiveness on their part so we're, how we start these conversations really important how we start them, like our opening pitch, kind of. it. How we start is really important, and we want to diffuse defensiveness. We do not want to put them on their back heels, and that means talking often about our own needs and our own part in the problem and our own you know, that, that we don't want to be that way in a relationship. We don't, I I don't want to bring that energy to the relationship and I'm making an effort, pledging to make an effort to do something about this. I don't know nonviolent communication, but there's a whole approach, uh, to practice, uh, uh, that's, that gets taught at Spirit Rock quite a bit uh, on nonviolent communication. That's that's probably quite relevant for for this. Um, but I would say a lot of the work is on our end digesting this and coming to um, an understanding of the whole situation that is born of of wisdom and love. Uh, and so we sit with it, we practice with it, we really take responsibility for our part in it. And from that understanding, from that self-compassion, from that compassion for the other, we, I, I, we can manifest in ways that are likely to be constructive.
so ne- next week, um, sorry, I've got to got to stop. Apologize. Uh, we can talk after. Um, uh, next week, I'll I'll talk more about um, certain wisdom perspectives and the role of love in working with anger. So, just uh, without changing posture, just maybe closing the eyes for a moment. Sensing whatever goodness is present here, goodness of our own hearts. And sensing how this goodness, um, in the same way that anger affects others, this goodness overflows, spills out. eases the burden of those we encounter. So may our good hearts, may whatever love and ease, joy and freedom is ours, may this be offered out in all directions and be a cause of less suffering and more ease, more joy in the world. Thank you. Have a good night.